Welcome to Leadership is in Session, powered by Athena Communications. This special series features some of Milwaukee's most distinguished leaders. They'll share how they overcame challenges, developed their skills, and achieved success, so you can gain insight and inspiration. And now, Leadership is in Session. Welcome, everybody, back to the studio today, where we have Kevin Newell, the founder of Royal Capital. And Kevin, we've invited you here to participate in the Athena version of a masterclass. And we call that Leadership in Session because it's really a great opportunity to hear from some of Milwaukee's best leaders to share their work, how they've done it, and to leave our listeners with lessons that they can actionize in their own personal and professional sphere. So welcome, Kevin. Hey, thank you. Appreciate you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you. So you and your team have significant interest in building the urban core. And you do that with a side of social responsibility, I will say. How did you get started in this work? What does it entail? It's passion work for sure. I went to uh, business school, so I'm an MBA kid. So the basic fundamentals of business from organizational behavior, finance, accounting, marketing, you know, all those things are stuff that I'm passionate about. And it translates well to what we're doing at Royal Capital today with our urban investment platform. How I got into it was really spearheaded by the opportunity to participate in the Marquette Acre program um, in 2006 and seven. And I was an undergrad B school at the time at Whitewater and finishing my fourth year there, my senior year, and happened to get, well, was fortunate enough to get accepted into the Marquette program. So I was doing a little bit of dual programming at the time, coming down for the Marquette program. And what happened was at the time the program was set up is if you finish as one of the top six students in the program, you are afforded one of six uh, one-year placement opportunities with uh, one of the six uh, sponsoring organizations. And I ended up finishing in top six and decided to go take a one-year placement to go work in public finance for the state of Wisconsin. And that's essentially kind of navigating the terrain around public finance that relates to taxes and bonds, tax credits, you know, all things that kind of help make public-private partnerships work. And um, I was really fascinated with that, and I understood what that can do for the urban community. So I, I spent first six months there, and they, they thought I was doing a good job and uh, ended up turning the one-year placement opportunity into a full-time role where I kind of navigated through some of the tough times in the economy of 07, 08, 09, when the housing crisis was really um, taking a turn. And so being able to lead the team at that point in time from a asset-based risk management standpoint, I was the leader on that side of the world. And, um, you know, just had a lot of fun. When, then I went on to take a role in, um, on the more of the senior management side, kind of leading through underwriting and so forth. Spent about almost four years there, but I joke about it all the time that I had a great job. I did not leave because I was disgruntled at all. It really was the opposite. I was having that conversation with HR about long-term planning and, and uh, retirement planning and so forth. And I was like, whoa, I don't think I came here to uh, be be a permanent fixture, but um, it kind of ignited me to rethink my entrepreneurial spirit at that time. And I decided to take the leap to um, leave in September 2010 to found Royal Capital. So I literally left on August 28th and I officially originated Royal Capital on September 2nd. And it was all set out to allow me to have a playground to kind of explore, learn some things, chase business ideas and so forth full time. And um, it was very very much, um, you know, I hate to say it, but it was almost linear in, in, in the case because it kind of knew what I wanted to do. And uh, we just kind of propelled the business from there, knowing how to leverage 
financing and so forth as a strong suit of minds and coming in with no balance sheet or overall resume, but being able to network and say, hey, I don't have some of those things, but I could pull the pieces together and put the people in place to make it happen and end up doing that where we can essentially say, hey, for the let's do this deal. It's a smaller $10 million deal, but you know, I'm willing to uh, give a, a, a JV partner 49% if they can bring the balance sheet and I'll arrange all the capital and the financing and so forth. And we did that to kind of get our our, um, you know, we maintain separate companies and all that kind of stuff. Um, everything is very transaction based. But what it was is I was trying to figure out the solve. You know, I don't have what the banks and lenders have. They, they like me. They know me from my time at, in public finance. But they're saying, hey, in order for us to get the committee, we need this um, this extra piece. We need another warm body next to you. And I just tell the folks, hey, I'll do all the work, I, but I need some support here. And I'll give you 49% of this particular transaction. And that kind of is how the business kind of grew because we did that for the first couple years to the point where we can have, you know, a strong enough balance sheet and a strong enough financial profile and experience level to the point where after three or four years, we can go to the banks and so forth ourselves and say, hey, this is who we are. We got experience. We got success now. And that's what we've been doing for the past 10 years is essentially just growing that base, you know, from, you know, doing smaller, you know, 10, 20 million dollar transactions. to now we're kind of, you know, living in our our dream world of doing comprehensive master planning where we're talking about, you know, 150, 250 million dollar investments in urban core and living our dream of doing doing good while doing well. I love that you mentioned that because that's one of my favorite sayings. Uh, thanks for sharing all of that. And, and specifically, you've talked about a few things that I want to go back to. You talked about relationships, right? And you talked about community. You talked about building the urban core. This community, Milwaukee is home to you and you are a proud son of the city with roots and neighborhoods you're now developing, including the Phyllis Wheatley campus. Why is that development and others? Why is such a heart and equity project for you? You know, that Phyllis Wheatley is a unique project, be it that, you know, it's actually a, the former elementary school that I attended when I was in kindergarten and first grade. Going back and, and, and being able to revive that place and to be something productive because it has sat vacant for the better part of 15, 20 years. And so being able to go back and, and revitalize this community and, and make it a home for families. I mean, it's, it's no way you can avoid the tearjerker that it is. Um, you really feel it in your heart that you're doing the right thing. Um, you get excited about it. And it's actually one of our smaller projects at about 20 plus million dollars, right? But it's the one that. I probably spent the most amount of time on in 2021 and 2022, just simply because I uh, had such a connection with it. It was, it was strong heartstrings for sure. Yeah, I love that. And you you also mentioned earlier that you are a graduate of the Acre program at Marquette. And for our listeners who don't know, Acre is an extremely prestigious program. It's highly selective. And what it does, it really seeks to expand access and representation for people of color in your industry. What was that experience like? Why does representation matter? You know, it matters because the things that I'm able to do now to inspire the next round of real estate professionals, it didn't exist for me. And it, I didn't know the question to ask. I didn't know who built what buildings. I didn't know how the transactions work. I just didn't know what I didn't know. And so when I first got, you know, the opportunity to learn from folks like Kaylin Haywood and, and learn from Shalita Dunn, some of my earlier influences inside of wanting to get into the space and get into the Acre program, you know, my mind just expanded to a whole new world. 
I had never thought about what commercial real estate was. I definitely had some aspirations to do some things in the neighborhood related to, you know, buy, hold and, and do some flips. But I didn't know what commercial real estate was. I didn't know that we can build and own apartment buildings. I don't know if I actually ever questioned it or I don't know if it was something I just thought that just happened by government way or something. But once I got into it and understood that it was really a private sector initiative and that it can be a business, you know, I kind of latched on to it and took all of my business instincts and business training and so forth and kind of transferred it over. I call them transferable skill sets. And it's been um, because of the acre program that I've been able to begin my journey because without it, you know, it's really tough to understand what that critical path will be because I I just wouldn't have had the introduction into the space. So you mentioned you didn't know what you didn't know. Are you willing to share with our listeners perhaps a mistake or something you bobbled early on that really taught you a really good lesson? You know, I I think one of the fundamental principles of our business right now is we we, we say two things. We want to fail fast and fail forward. Um, in 2014, one of our projects was uh, fighting a little bit of nimbyism. And we had gone to the um, the Common Council, the Planning Commission and all those things and had, you know, had the project, as we thought, appropriately zoned. We had the mayor's economic, the mayor's support letter. We had the economic development support letter all packaged together um, to our state approval. I mean, it's our state application and kind of said, hey, we're, we're zoned appropriately. We're supported and so forth. But ironically enough, once we received the, the coveted award from the state relative to those resources, we had spent, you know, probably at that point in time, maybe $50,000. We went to the planning commission. The planning commission said, hey, I got to think about, I need to tell you. And I said, what's that? I said, your letter is correct. It, it, it says that you are zoned. Your use is an allowed use. And they said, but we have another thing where we have to talk about desired use. And desired use is highly subjective. And we call it permissive zoning. And so with the zoning process, they have much more of an up or down process where they can say, hey, uh, although multifamily will work here, it's going to depend upon who builds it and who's going to occupy it. And me being a young African-American male in Wisconsin and then trying to figure out how I'm going to provide affordable housing, you know, NIMBYism popped up and they told me basically this is a no go. And one of the commissioners, I'm sorry, the Common Council uh, women at this time, she was a an elder statesman and she had a significant amount of influence and significant amount of time on the uh, the common council. And she invited me and my colleague to her home. She said, I want you to come to my house and have tea because I, I really like you guys. And I want to be very transparent with you about where, what I'm seeing amongst my colleagues. And she said, listen, I like you. I think what you're doing is, is, is the right thing to do. But this is a lily white town. This is not going to fly. And, and I and I wanted to tell you that from the heart because I want to save you from expending more dollars. They're just not going to say yes. So they went down this whole dog and pony show where they was asking me all kinds of things to see if I could jump through the hoops. Hey, can you bring a hotel provider? And I said, okay, great. Let me go find a hotel partner. We brought in the Hilton. Hey, well, I, I need some more commercial. I need some demand, more demand drivers to wrap this thing and make it more attractive. Okay, we brought in some commercial users. By this time, though, when um, the, the councilwoman had first spoke to me about I should probably cut loose, I was probably 100000 maybe 75000 into it. I continued to press the gas and I continued to press forward and I continued to spend money to the point where just cash outlay was 400000 not including overhead. And it wasn't that till I got to the wits end and I was like, okay, yeah, I probably need to need to stop, right? This is not going to go. And so we use it as a model as we kind of look at our business of, you know, we definitely want to be fighters. We're definitely going to, you know, go against the grain and we're going to take risk, but it's important for us to fail fast and fail forward and learn from things. So that's one thing that I've, uh, it's a story I like to tell about, you know, making sure that you're being very calculated and strategic 
and knowing the room and knowing the relationship that you can have and knowing when it's okay to say, you know what, let's go to the next one. So so you are known to push. You are known as someone who's going to take risks. But at the heart of all you do, it's all rooted in social responsibility. Absolutely. Why is that so important? You know what? I just think that in order for me to enjoy having the same job for 13 years, right? Most millennials never have the same job for 13 years. And that's what I've been doing. And, and in order for me to to keep my my engine going, once you get to the point of financial success, you're going to need other things to kind of keep you motivated. And for, in order for me to not go down and spend my time in, in South Beach and, and stick my time here in Wisconsin, it's got to be tied to something bigger than financial reward. And that social responsibility is that engine for me. It gets me going. So I'm, I'm, I'm very fortunate enough to have some great quality relationships, friendships, and and um, partnerships inside of the space. You know, the past four, four and a half years, I've, I've, I've learned so much as a as a student of the Medical College of Wisconsin and, and the Greater Milwaukee Foundation and our Thrive On partnership, where I can learn about their different spaces. I can learn about how philanthropy operates. I can learn from the different leaders at the medical college about the impact of social determinants of health and what it means for our community. And more importantly, how I can participate and be a leader and how I can be part of the solve. So it's a different type of self-serving component that allows me to really, really stick to what I'm trying to do, live out the mission, make my mom happy, you know, those quality things that matter. And I can quantify and qualify the impact. And it's really, really important. I think it's great for our organization. Everybody that's a part of our organization, all of our friends, family, colleagues, and other, you know, they all buy in. They all love it. We're all locking arms. And um, it's just a different type of triple bottom line return that I don't know many other businesses are fortunate enough to have on their side. Will you elaborate for our listeners what Thrive On is and how Royal Capital is involved? Yeah, Thrive On is a place-based investment that is really looking to turn the table around and how we look at um, urban investment and improving the the quality of lives of folks by taking a really hard look at the continuum of health. And what that means for us is we have a a building, let's call it, or a campus. Uh, we purchased um, the Royal Capital, you know, 455,000 square foot old industrial building that was the former home of a, a, a large department store here in Milwaukee called Gimbal Schuster. And we bought some adjacent properties as well. And what it's grown to is now um, that we're under construction for roughly $150 million on MLK Drive. And what that means for us is the Medical College of Wisconsin have brought in their centers and institutes that are all front facing to the community, focusing on social determinants of health. And then we have the Greater Milwaukee Foundation moving their full headquarters and they, they're able to extend their arms around everything from grants to nonprofits and neighboring organizations to um, impact investment fund, which is kind of working with the unbankable, marginalized and disenfranchised folks from the community who oftentimes are not friends and not family with the banks. So me being able to serve on that committee, you know, we work with small businesses and small vendors and so forth to bring capital to the table. We also have a housing component that includes both senior housing and family housing in an area that has witnessed significant amount of displacement, which goes beyond gentrification. In our other part of our community benefit, we call it. We have the the benefit of having brought in a significant major player around early childhood education and understanding that that zero to three, um, that birth of three time frame is so important uh, for our youth, especially with the folks who are marginalized and disenfranchised in our community. So bringing in Malika um, Early Child Care Center as an extension is great. Um, we brought in JobWorks, which is another component that kind of focuses in on ways that we can connect our underemployed and unemployed to major industry. Um, we brought in Versity, which is another major influencer in our community. 
were related to blood education and research, um, particularly around things like sequel cell, which is a major driver and challenge inside of the urban core, particularly for black folks. Um, and then we have the food and beverage component. But in, in addition to that, we become a catalyst, right? So now we have uh, our additional property. You know, we have the Howard Fuller Collegiate Academy, which is oftentimes, um, you know, unsung hero here in Milwaukee, where we have folks that initiated a school back in 2004, um, ultra successful. Um, they have a 100% track record of getting kids through high school and getting that college acceptance letter. And unfortunately, they've been living in a, and operating out of a former Goodwill warehouse with no windows and, and lack of poor, I mean, let's call it poor ventilation systems and others. So uh, working with our philanthropic partners and, and so forth, we was able to raise all the capital we needed to build them a new school. And that new school will be adjacent to the Thrive on Campus primary building. And so we're all the times having the opportunity to bring in all these different components related to education, food access, housing, you know, education related to um, the study of better ways we can live our quality lives through the medical college, the foundation work, all those different things come together to make Thrive On a success. But it's all about what we always talk about, which is, you know, collaboration is the new innovation. And so being able to like do all that kind of fun stuff, um, as I call it, is is remarkable, but it doesn't get done without a team. And I like to tell people all the time that, you know, this is a team sport. So we all got to play along. In your team, you are known to say, I am not here to change hearts. I'm here to change policies. Why is that? You know, I think that with the whole George Floyd movement, you know, there was a lot of folks that, you know, really feel bad about what was going on. Um, and they would, you know, they had a lot of opportunities to kind of do something about it. And they wanted to step into the plate and they said, hey, I don't know what I want to do um, or what I can do, but I want to be a part of the solution. Um, but it was also during this time that, you know, I think we kind of, you know, shifted the responsibility or the goal. And the goal became for us to all of a sudden try to make everybody not racist. And I just think that's an uphill battle. Um, candidly, I, I think that, you know, trying to convince folks not to be racist so they can treat others better. Um, that, that's a form of education that is almost um, something that should be done as an individual. If we're going to have a real impact in our communities, we need to start with policymakers. We need to start with legislation. You know, even Dr. King talked about it on his last days where we were talking about going from, you know, simply marching to figuring out ways we can get people into the appropriate seats on the political side. And I was just in Atlanta, Georgia, and, and I was listening to Andrew Young speak um, particularly about that. And he said that we don't move forward without influencing policy. And that's a consistent thing when you're talking about change. And so I'm not really, you know, giving up on the ability for 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 folks who are not really open to the can to the idea of all us living conducively together. Um, but I'm, I don't want to spend my energy trying to convince somebody to be racist or not be racist. I want to kind of figure out how we can get to the fundamental resources that allow us to do for ourselves. Um, and that's oftentimes through policy. And I watch that play out all the time through public private partnerships. So I'm anti-racist. But, you know, it's about it's got a little bit of time to get a lot done. So I like to conserve my energy for where I think and uh, get the best bang for the best buck. So what is your best bang for your buck? What is the most fulfilling part of your work? It really comes down to some fundamentals related to how I was brought up. I joke about it all the time that my roots are in Mississippi, but Milwaukee's home. You know, we moved to Milwaukee when I was a kid, um, two or three years old. And my mom moved up here with three kids at the time. And she was a matter of like 24, 25. And she leaves. She moved into some very tough neighborhoods. And we bounced around to 14 different homes by the time I went to college. And Milwaukee um, took care of us in, in the sense that it, it allows us to uh, be who we are. It provided me the grit that I have. And as we kind of navigate through life, I see some of these same youth who resemble me at that same age. And I understand 
what's ahead of them. I understand some of the challenges and some of those challenges, unfortunately, are still there. And so I get the best fulfillment when I'm able to look into the eyes of some young folks and I can be a help and I can be part of a solve that can traditionally that can that can change the trajectory about where they're going. They can go from a place of no inspiration, um, no goals and potentially in a place of being dead or in jail by the time they're 18. So all of a sudden we're talking about college applications. We start talking about, I want to be a real estate developer like you. I want to be a business person like you. I want to learn more about healthcare because you talk so eloquently about it in a way that can change folks' lives. Um, so I like to really appreciate my journey and being able to share my journey. It's a hope of, as I like to say, hopefully it inspires somebody. Um, you know, I can't do the work for everybody and not everybody wants the work to be done. So I'm like, you know, our, our, one of our major jobs is just kind of show the way, show the path. And oftentimes that's through inspiration. So I, I really appreciate the opportunity to inspire. Well, speaking of inspiration, you have inspired all of us today. Thank you so much, Kevin. You've shared your thoughts on social responsibility and building the urban core and so much more. So many great nuggets in here on leadership and possibility. So thank you so much. Absolutely. Thank you all. Thanks for listening to Leadership is in Session, powered by Athena Communications. Be sure to catch all eight enlightening episodes. And don't forget to connect to On the Edge of Equity with Tammy Belton Davis, available wherever you get your podcasts.